You're listening to the Boss Business of Surgery series, episode 111. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Sogol Palavan. We talk about how it's possible to burn out in private practice. You would think that gaining the autonomy of a private practice would mean your life would be easier. The problem is your boss is now you, and you may not be the best boss. We talk about strategies to prevent yourself from burning out. And if you want to join in on the Become the Boss MD coaching Facebook group, December, I give away lots of prizes. It's well underway. Come find me there. Welcome, surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. Welcome back. I'm so glad to have my friend on today. She is doing some amazing things, and I think that she has the perfect subject to talk about because I feel this every day. This is Dr. Sogol Palavan. Yeah. (laughs) She's here to talk about how private practice doesn't save you from burnout. And I totally agree with the sentiment. But before we get on to the subject of this, Dr. Sogol, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I love this. Okay. So I always say this part because I think it's important in journeys and there's a lot of immigrants in medicine. So I am a first generation immigrant, but I came here pretty early. I think your immigrant story is very different, whether you immigrate in elementary school, middle school, high school, or in college, so different parts of your life. So I came here in fourth grade um, into Texas. I'm from Iran and we literally moved to Houston, Texas. And I've been in Houston, Texas for like the past 30 years. And so as an immigrant, it's medicine, law, and engineering are your three options. And so by default, I kind of chose medicine. I wasn't one of those. I interview a lot of physicians and they're like, oh, it was a calling and I wanted to heal people and I wanted to help people. Mine was more like, I can't do math. And I don't really like to read and write a lot. So I can't do <laughs> law. So that, so we'll just do medicine. <laughs> and with medicine, you talk a lot, right? You see a lot of people and you talk a lot. And that's, I thrive on just talking and, and communicating and being with people. So it's a good field for me. And then- Having um, people problems. Yes, yes. And so I chose pediatrics. I'm a pediatrician. I chose pediatrics um, because kids are cute and adults aren't, literally. And the the parents don't bother me. People don't go into pediatrics because of the parents and they don't, they, they you know, the anxiety of the parents, I don't take on that energy. So it was, it was a fun field and that's why I chose it. And so- after I graduated, I went and worked. My sister's a pediatrician as well. And we graduated at the same time. We are not twins. So we went and we job shared at a private practice pediatric solo pediatrician group. And her practice was amazing. We learned so much. Her office manager was great. And, you know, I'm working part-time. I, I had a kid. I was pregnant. I had two kids and I'm working part-time. And my dad, you, so the immigrant story is that you come to America and then you built your own business, right? That That's what I was modeled as a kid. All I have five uncles. We lived on the same cul-de-sac growing up in Houston, Texas, and they all have their own businesses, different businesses. So I grew up with that being modeled as the norm, right? And because a lot of people ask me this, I, I, we established, my sister and I established our clinic two years out of residency. And people are like, how did you do that? That's so scary. And I was like, I didn't know there was any other option, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Because um, my, my cousins were dentists, like everybody, all my cousins that did something had their own business. So I was like, okay, I guess that's what we have to do. Go like have our own business. And I will tell you guys for private practice back then, so it's been 16 years, there was zero support. There were no coaching. There was no courses. There was no business school. There was like no communities. Literally, I think the Texas Medical Association had like two web pages on how to be successful in private practice, which was like nothing. So the people that want to do it now, the volume of support that is out there for you, it just blows my mind. So if you are thinking, I'm passionate about private practice, you'll find out as I talk. If you are thinking about leaving the system and going and doing private practice, it is totally a thousand percent possible. Do not ask the academic people if it is 
possible if it's a possibility because they will tell you no it's not so you have to ask the right person right so go out and ask your other subspecialties that are doing private practice now ask them don't ask your academic or large healthcare system people that you're working with because they're going to say no because they don't see the possibility that's why they're at the job that they are at anyway so two years out we build our practice and it was I say that I have made every single mistake under the sun. <laughs> and I have, because like, I remember we would sit with my sister, we'd be like, oh, what do we do about that? And she's like, I don't know. And we'd be like, okay, let's do that. And then we'd come back and it's like, oh, well, that didn't work. So, so yeah, we learned by trial and error. I did, I did not get an MBA. I didn't go you know, I did work again, no courses, no resources, nothing. The old office manager at our old pediatric clinic helped us a lot. And even the pediatrician that we worked for, she was amazing. She helped us a lot too. So yeah, so we started out with my sister and I, and we, after a year in private practice, we added on a nurse practitioner. And then now we're up to five MDs, we're up to nine. So it's like, I think six MDs, one PA and two NPs. I don't know if that equals nine or not. But anyways, <laughs> so we're up to nine, we are different because we are in a underserved Hispanic community. So again, I want to say this out there, everybody told us there is no way that you're going to be profitable serving the Medicaid community. So kids are Medicaid, adults are Medicare, right? And I was just drawn to them. Like I loved them from residency when I worked at Bentob, which was our county hospital. I was a minor in French and literally I can't speak a single word because I had to learn Spanish, right? So my medical Spanish is amazing. In in my continuity clinic, I was drawn to them. In the the private practice I work for, so I was like, this is the the population that I want to serve. So if you are drawn to something, if your soul is calling for you to connect and do something that's completely outside the box that no one has never done it, don't listen to them. Like follow your soul's calling because if it is aligned with what you truly want, the universe, the God, whatever you want to call it, I call it the universe, will make it happen, right? And I think it's really fascinating if we think about this. I remember our program director at Morning Report saying, you will not come up with a diagnosis if you do not think about it. And I think the problem is, is that we learn through academics and we will never hear about this possibility if we've never been told. And unfortunately, like the people who are telling us all along are the people who are in academics that maybe haven't experienced private practice. And of course it feels hard because they don't know. So they're not telling us any falsehood, but they're not recognizing the fact that they're not telling us with all experiences, because they, they just don't know. So of course, it makes perfect sense. If your whole family are entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. then it seems very reasonable that, okay, well, now I see that there's a possibility, there is a diagnosis on here that I can now think about, because now I know that it exists. So I definitely think that there is ability to be profitable. And I also do believe that there's a lot more drive, at least, I don't know, again, we're all limited by the circles that we're running in now too. Now, having been in a private practice for three years after creating it, I am spending a lot more time with people who are in it, who are interested in it. And so it's certainly, I mean, even my bias could be, who knows, but I see a lot more people interested in it. And mm -hmm. after three years, I'm starting to identify some of the problems that I personally have, because I know as we were talking about, a lot of people who are now interested in private practice are doing it to try to escape a terrible employer. And then you find out you too are a terrible employer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So that brings me to my burnout story, right? So about, so I'm 46. So in my 40s, right, probably 40, 41, 42, I checked off literally all the boxes, right? I had the doctor thing, the entrepreneur thing, the wife thing, the mom thing, the whatever all the other things are that you want on your vision board, the house and the car and travel, all that. And I was like, why doesn't this feel good? Why do I feel? And my feeling, my predominant feeling was just anger and then fatigue. 
tired, 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 tired. So I was like, okay, I'm working too hard. I'm not sleeping enough. I'm running around with the kids. And at some point I was like, maybe this is just midlife. Like this is how every woman feels. And, but I didn't give up. So I started fixing my diet, fixing my sleep, all the the things that you hear cutting down to part-time and nothing, nothing, nothing. And I was like, Okay, well, and then I started having this um, sense of dread getting up in the morning, right? I had spent, when I opened up my clinic, I had two kids under four and I was pregnant with a third one. So it's like I had sacrificed all these, like a decade of my life, right? And I had this built this profitable, very successful, a prominent clinic in that serves this underserved community, very purpose-led, very passionate about what I do. And I was like, there's some discrepancy here. Like what is going on? Why don't I feel good about what I have created? And as I started, I got a coach and I liked it so much. And then I became a coach. But what I learned through that is that, as you said, most people I want to say blame, attribute their burnout to the people above them, right? At administration, let's just label it administration. Administration is shoving down. I don't have time to see all the patients. My schedule's like this. My OR time is like this, whatever the excuses are. But I didn't have an administration above me. It was just me and me. And so I said, I was like, well, I can't blame <laughs> Anything more frustrating than having a problem and having no one else to blame? That's very annoying. Yes. Yes. So, you know, I blame the insurers, right? I was like, oh, it's their fault. They're not paying me enough, right? Okay, I did that. I blame the staff a lot, right? Oh my God, why aren't they competent? Why can't, why do I have to repeat myself 10,000 times? Why don't they show up to work? You know, all the private practice narrative that we have. (laughs) But so I did that for a while. But then what I really found out is that I want to call it like this manager, this manager that was in my mind, right? In my brain is the one that I needed to really go and connect with and understand and see why this manager part of me is literally beating me up every day. My predominant thoughts were like, like a a provider would leave and it was all self-sabotage. It was your fault. You didn't say hi to her. Maybe you didn't give her the right PTO. Maybe you put too many patients on her schedule. It was just negative, negative, negative. A staff would quit. Oh, I told you, you looked at her this way. You didn't give her what she wanted. Maybe you raised your voice. Maybe you weren't. And and, like literally everything that happened in my clinic was my fault. Mm -hmm. That was what the manager part of me said, right? Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't until I went and I recognized that right? It's, and you could call it the um, self-critical part, right? Mm-hmm. The negative part, the self-critical, the, the negative narrative that, that we, a lot of parents, a lot of mothers do this, like that mom guilt of like, oh, it's your fault that your kid did that. And because you weren't there for that and you didn't do this. And it's your fault that your husband did this, right? We tried to blame ourselves for everything that's happening outside of us. So same thing happens when you are a leader. Same thing happens when you're in private practice, when you're, you're CEOing. It's is that if you don't, number one, have awareness of what that narrative is, first of all, right? Like, how do I talk to myself when something fails? Why do I think about that? Right. Mine was all blaming myself, right? And Which- I think this is why it's really important. I just want to stop you there because this, this point, we cannot miss this point. You mentioned that going part-time and taking time off didn't solve it. And I think it's really important that when you realize that the problem is our self-critical nature, taking time off doesn't help. Getting rest may give us better perspective, but until we change the thoughts that we have about our job and typically ourself in the job, then taking time off and leaving medicine and all those things is not going to solve our discomfort. That changing the circumstance of where we're at is not going to change the feelings that we have about ourselves. And typically what we'll do if these are not managed, we will take them to our next situation so this is where I think that it was really important to say, like, when people say, like, I'm really tired, I mean, it's usually the symptom that we have. So we think, okay, you are tired, take more rest. You know, your job is making you unhappy. So take time away from your job until we realize that, that the solution is not taking time off or, or leaving the situation. We're never going to get past all that too. So this is why I wanted to stop you because I think that that thought is so critical. 
Yeah. And you know, my, my, yes, there was a physical fatigue, obviously, that was the manifestation of a deeper emotional and mental. I, and I'm sure a lot of surgeons are like this. I kid that I was like my personality. I should have totally been a surgeon and not a pediatrician, (laughs) but feelings for me, the thoughts with feelings, my thoughts around feelings was feelings are weak feelings are bad, feelings hold me back from being successful, right? So I went for 40 years, 45 years, not processing any feelings. I had like the armor, Brene Brown talks about like the armor. Mine was a a steel, brick, concrete, five foot thick (laughs) wall. Many of us can relate to this. Yes, that I had built. It was like a dungeon. Like I, I'm a very visual person. So when I used to, I do a lot of visualizations and meditation and stuff. So I would see myself in like a dungeon, like those old castles that they had, like where they would put their prisoners, like the tall tower dungeons. And I was sitting there. I do a lot of inner child work, like in fetal position, just scared as heck. And that's exactly how I felt is because I... Never, I, I, to this day, it's still very hard for me to, I can identify my feelings, but to be able to process it has, it's taken me two, three years to really get there. But it, I was always the fixer, like, okay, yeah, this happened. So let's fix it. Okay. It's okay. No problem. Like I never sat in the, in the grief, in the sadness, in the hurt, in the disappointment, in the pain. So I carried 15 years of that because in private, when you are building something and leading something, there's a lot of failures, there's a lot of mistakes, there's a lot of disappointment, right? It's, it's, you're not you, you don't win without failing, right? It's, it's just part of the process. So I had never processed any of that. So that took a completely emotional toll on me. So if you can imagine like a a, a ton of like, a brick sitting on your shoulders and your body, right? You can't physically move because it's so tiring. And then the mental part was all that negative self-talk about, you know, you didn't do it right and it was your fault and why didn't you do it this way? And and the self-doubt, right? The self-doubt and constantly questioning myself. And what was really interesting for me, and I tell this story and So I'm really involved in the pediatric private world, private practice world, because we're not that many of them. So we have a big community. So when a couple of years ago, I went and I presented like literally my story in front of them, their jaws were just on the floor. They were like, wait, but like on the outside, you look like the perfect right? Successful, like you're doing the mom thing and the entrepreneur thing and your practice thing. And I was like, but that's the message I want to get across. Yeah. Is that right? Is that we present, it's like the Instagram image, right? We present (laughs) ourselves like most people present ourselves on Instagram, but behind all those layers behind that veil is true it's another truth and that's why i that's why i do a lot of these podcasts because i want people to understand and know because when i was in that position i had a lot of shame i was like i'm not supposed i'm supposed to be happy like I, shame on you. You have, you're, you're so secure and you've done so much and you have an amazing family and your kids are wonderful. And like the world is falling apart, but you, you have everything. So why don't you feel good? And there was no one out there for me to reach out to, to be like, Hey, like I, there was no safe space for me to be like, listen, I can't, I, I, I know it's embarrassing, but I don't feel like I have all this stuff, but I don't really feel good. Like help me. Right. Well, I think the one concept, I think you really alluded to it is that there's like different parts of us. I mean, that vision that we portray of us being successful and happy and achieving. I mean, there's actually, that's true. There's that one. And then there's also the one like, yeah, and I want more and I wish I was doing better. And I'm also doing terribly. And I think, what is it? Walt Whitman that says like, I contain multitudes. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what I've attributed this to is that, I mean, we're not, lying about any of this. It's just that there's so many things that are going well, but then every now and then we just hit these ruts. Like this part of me is not doing well. Like financially, I'm not doing well, or like sleep wise, I'm not doing well, or self-care, I'm not doing well, or, but you know, 
I think a lot of times there's many parts of us that are are really excelling. And so the part of us we need to work on varies over time. But of course, we don't tell that because when we have that part of us that's not doing exactly what we want, we tell ourselves, oh, look, there you are failing. Look, and now you're lying. <laughs> yes, I love the fact that you brought up parts. So in in our in my coaching, I use a lot of, I don't know if you know, in, internal family systems, IFS work. It's literally parts work. It's literally like what you said. So you as a, you have a self, like a core self. It's who your essence is. Like when you were birthed, right? That is your core, pure light essence. Then through conditioning, uh, parents and society and religion and all these expectations, there are these parts of you that you create, right? Like the overachiever part, the perfectionist part, the, you know, the victim part, like we have all these parts, right? So we are one, we're not one person, like I'm not Dr. Sogol, I'm Dr. Sogol made up of all these parts. So again, the awareness is so important to be like, oh, this is that self-critical part that's talking to me again. It's not me, right? It's not the core me. This is just that part that needs to be seen and held and loved and heard. So let me hold some space for this part. First of all, let me hear it. Let me see, why are you afraid? And usually parts when they talk is because of fear, right? They fear like you're going to die, literally. So there's something going on in your life. Like you want to go open up a private practice and you have all these thoughts about it right and it's usually that part that's trying to protect you and say no 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 no. but we've never done that and if we do that we're gonna die if you do something private practice is a change and any change to your nervous system is death so if you don't recognize that and you say Oh, and you recognize it you you think it's you as your core self and you're like oh yeah I'm totally gonna die you're not gonna make any steps, right? You're not going to take any actions. But if you're like, if you, you they call it the, the watcher, the observer, if you step back and you're like, oh, this isn't me. This is just part of me that is, doesn't feel safe, right? That doesn't feel, that doesn't feel safe. And that feels like it's going to die. Let me just hold some space for it. Let me talk back to it. Let me, let, what would I say if, if these parts, I'm, I'm a pediatrician. So I, I love doing like kids analogy. It's like, there are all these like little toddlers inside of you. And so if a toddler came up to you and they're like, you know, mommy, 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 I'm scared. Mommy, whoa. What would you say to the toddler? Like, what would you say to your kid? Say that same thing to yourself, Right. So yeah, so that's powerful work. The parts work is super powerful because it 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 kind of it gives you a completely different perspective when you when you disassociate or kind of distance like yourself from this particular part that's acting up. Then you can you can look at it from a different like frame we can look yeah. at it from oh there's there's so many different examples of that too you know i i've read jill bolte taylor's whole brain living where she talks about like actual neural pathways within our brain that are separate and she calls them the, the four characters you know in my book i call it the itty bitty shitty committee but whatever oh my god i love that <laughs> so I think that's- yeah what happens is like we hear different voices in our head too there's the the one the encouraging one there's a fearful one i think what happens is, is that we really do have a lot of these messages that are coming across. And if we take it from a place of self-criticism, you can use that against yourself because those, those parts of us unmanaged will find evidence for it. I mean, every number that comes across, every word that is said, they will attribute meaning to this and make it true. So that's where it becomes so difficult. Recognizing like the tone of the voice that you have can be very helpful. And because then we could say like, oh, well, you're just afraid. And so we treat someone who's afraid much different than someone who's being a jerk. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so my message, uh, first of all, a couple of messages out there. One, you totally do private practice, especially in, in, from what's going on in the dynamics and the changes in the healthcare system, like private practice is not dead. I think private practice is definitely coming back. There's a lot of in P I don't know if in, in surgery, but in pediatrics, there is a lot of direct primary care, which is in a sense like concierge care, but private practice, again, private practice for me is you being your own boss, right? It is possible right? Surround yourself with the right 
people, again, we talked about that. Don't ask the academics what, what to do or what not to do. Go find the private practice people. And then don't just talk to the burnout private practice <laughs> physician. Go talk to many of them. Yeah, let's talk about that too, because I think there definitely is a tendency to burnout in private practice. So what was your experience like? What did you think led to your burnout in private practice? Yes. Okay. So my burnout, this, this is, this is, it's hilarious, but it's like really sad. My burnout. So I didn't have anyone above me telling me to see more patients, telling me to, to see more patients faster, telling me to skip lunch to see more patients. I did that to myself. Like literally I would go in the morning and I would look at my schedule and then you it's pediatric. So calls are coming in every day. Right. And I would just hear the calls and I'd be like, oh my God, oh my God, I have to get all these patients in. Like I'm their primary care doctor. I have to get these patients in. So I would shrink, 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 shrink and overstuff my schedule. And then 1130 would come up and then my nurse would be come up to me and be like, oh, well, you know, this kid is a two-year-old with fever of 103. Mom's really anxious. Okay, shove him in. So then my, my lunch would get filled up with all the same day work-ins. So one of the biggest things that I've learned is boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. I had, and I'm really good about setting. I thought I was really, I'm like, not, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a people pleaser. That's one thing I'm not. So I was like, oh, boundaries, but I know how to do that. Like, that's not a problem. But the fascinating thing is like, I couldn't set boundaries with myself. Mm-hmm. I could send boundaries with other people, right? Patient comes in, mom is rude. Sorry, you're dismissed. Like we don't tolerate that, right? Staff would come in and they would say something like, I'm very good at that, right? But when it came to me, like, no, you don't eat lunch. No, you you have to see more patients. No, you have to do charts. No, you have to. And there's a lot of innovation in private practice. So number two, I did not delegate. I'm over, I was an overachieving controlling non-delegator which is <laughs> oh well, it, it, it's a great that's why we're in private practice right <laughs> we're like oh my god we're gonna do it our way it's amazing i'm gonna like we, we see things from more of the the forest and not the trees right so we can see operationally we can see what's going on and fix it but it's like okay you can't, you might be able to do that maybe for the first year or the second year, but you'll never be able to scale, right? Or have any time for yourself with those identity, like with those characteristics. That's what I always say. What got me here is not going to get you there. What got you here is what got you here. And then you've got to have some awareness and you've got to pivot and you've got to let go. So I had to learn to delegate. OMG, the hardest job in the world. Yeah. I mean, no one teaches us how to do that. I I put it in my book, the Become the Boss MD about delegating. I mean, there's lots more to it than I had even imagined. There's levels to delegation. There's, you know, ways to do it. It's you know, working in your mindset before you do it. There's a lot to it that we're just not told. And I mean, I think that part is one of the main lessons that I learned in doing that because I mean, it really is easier to do it yourself. It's just Absolutely. not sustainable. Yes. So once you give up, it's going to be hard a little bit until you learn it. And then it, it's never easy to give up control of stuff. But if you want to be sustainable, you have to find a way to do it. Yeah. If you don't want to be burnt out, right? Because you, you can make money. You can. The, the problem is not money at all. The problem is not being profitable. It's, it's that how we do everything because of the way we want to feel, right? So private practice, I want to have autonomy, I want to be, I want to be fulfilled, right? I want to be connected, right? So if you really look at your life based on what feeling do I want to have, right? And start there because money isn't a feeling like money does not, money doesn't bring you happiness kind of money. I love money. I had a lot of money mindset issues because of like religious and culturally, but I love money because it gives me freedom. Mm -hmm. This is why I love money. I don't love money because it brings me happiness because it didn't. 
right? And I, I, I lived that. Money brought me freedom to be able to cut back part-time, to be able to hire a coach, to be able to have time to sit down and like do self-care or read books or whatever that I wanted at that time. It gave me the freedom of time, which is the most important commodity now in my thread. It gave me the freedom of time to go to my kids, whatever game, whenever I wanted to give me the freedom to just sit and do nothing whenever I wanted to, without having to worry about the financial ramifications of not constantly working to making that money. Right. That insight is so helpful. Cause once you realize like, why do I even want money in the first place? Well, I want money for freedom. So then working extra to get money just doesn't make any sense anymore. And I'm like, Oh, is that what I was doing? Well, that's a terrible idea. Let's try something else. <laughs> Yes. Yes. And when I came to that realization, it was just like, it was such an epiphany for me because most people say money is attributed to like buying nice stuff and being happy and stuff like that. And I was like, that that's, it, it took me a long time. I was like, no, 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 no. I love money because it just gives me freedom of time. Like, that's why I love money. It gives me freedom of time. And I think if you look at it, so for those that have a lot of money mindset issues, like money's bad, rich people are bad, money's evil, money makes you evil, whatever, these things that have been ingrained in our brains by <laughs> by whoever <laughs> out there, think about that question. If I thought about money as giving me freedom of time, what would that look like for me? What would that look like in everyday life if I had freedom of time? Because most physicians, it's not even, that's not something we think of. Like time isn't something, we've never had time, right? Right. It, we've always been working, working, working. So some of y'all really have to sit down and be like, oh, I never thought it. Like if I had time, what would I do with that time? <laughs> what would that look like? And then you get this slew, like when I sit down and do it, you get this slew of like guilt of like, if you don't work, you're a loser. If you don't work, you're unworthy. If you don't work and produce, then you're, you know, not, not creating. I mean, like I had to go through, that was like you a whole year. Your mindset around time or money, give yourself a lot of it or take a lot of it away for both of those. I mean, like it's this, you're the same person, but if you change the circumstance of tons of money or no money at all or the circumstance of no time and lots of free time, you know, you will start to figure out what your money mindset and your time mindset is. <laughs> totally. That's such Hilarious. an awesome way of doing it. <laughs> the other thing I want to do about the burnout part that, that you had asked me previously is y'all expectations. Oh, I, yeah. We have really high expectations of ourselves, right? Right. Like everybody knows that. First of all, we're physicians. And then if you're even an entrepreneur, like a private practice physician, that's even like higher. Right. And so when you go to delegate, <laughs> you have, and we're very, oh my God, what is that word called? High functioning. Right. Yeah. I call it high functioning. Right. We multitask and we can, yeah, you know, we're just high functioning. Right. So when you go to delegate, you have to understand that you, are high functioning and you're an overachiever. And that is why you are the seat of the practice. If everybody else was as high functioning and overachieving as you, they would probably be a CEO of some other practice as well, right? Or right. they would be an entrepreneur. But not everybody's the same. Like I, I, it sounds really simple, but I really struggled with this. And I got me so frustrated because I'd be like, why can't they do it as fast as I can? Why can't they do it as good, quote unquote, and I can? And when you think like that, you don't see the light and the strength and the superpower that your team brings to you because you're so focused on what they don't have that you don't see what they do have. There's a reason you hired them, right? If you're a competent CEO or if you have an office manager, whoever hired them, there was a reason for that. So really think about like, what does this person bring to this team? Instead of, I want to make this person do things the way I did. I did that for literally a decade. Like, that was a really hard lesson for me to, to, to understand. And it's still, I still struggle with it. So I have to like be really intentional and be like, okay, let's 
how I would do it, but that's not how everybody should do it. Allow them, and then you start, and then that kind of, you start to release the control, right? You start releasing slowly, 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 and then you start seeing like, you know, some some feedback and some some progress and, and some action and some motivation from the staff. And you're like, oh, this actually works when I don't control people. They actually are happier. So, yeah, and I completely understand about the, the delegation is that you have to accept people for who they are. There's a couple thoughts that I had that really helped me in private practice. I do find that there's a, a ton of power in thoughts. So the thought that I had with private practice is I will make as few mistakes as possible. And what was really helpful about that is I allowed myself to make mistakes and I planned ahead of time that I was going to be okay with having mistakes and I would just try to do less of them. And that was one thing. And the second one is the perpetual, it's on the list. So when someone asked me for something and I felt the pressure to do it, I would say it is on the list, this imaginary list that we all know is never going to get done. I mean, so now I've discovered like a little bit more finesse behind that is like, if it's not on the calendar, it's on this imaginary list, this, this floating list that who knows what's actually going to happen with this list, but do not trust me because I don't trust me. If it's not on the calendar, you might as well just take it off the list. Oh my God. I love that. Yes. The perpetual to-do list and parenting and lifing in entrepreneurship and doctoring the perpetual list. Yes. And that perpetual list usually gives you a feeling of overwhelm, right? And then oh, in yeah. overwhelm, you could go into like beating yourself up and being disappointed disappointed and all that kind of stuff. My, okay, let me tell you my favorite thoughts. And these are just not for like entrepreneurship or or private practice. It's just like for life. It's okay. Yeah. It's it's my acceptance. Yeah. It's okay. Like, yes, acceptance. Yes, exactly. It's okay. Like what we have here is totally okay. And my favorite favorite is nothing has gone wrong. Isn't that true? My kids use this all the time now. I have three teenagers, one's in college, but nothing because literally 99.9% of the time, unless like you got in a really bad MBA and you're like intubated in a coma in the ICU or, or, or something tragic, nothing's really gone wrong, mm-hmm. right? If you ground yourself in that, nothing has really gone wrong and be like, what are my essentials? Like I, I still am breathing. I'm still alive. I still have a roof over my head. I'm still like, I have food, still have my family, like ground yourself to that, right? Go back to the basics of is the, the triangle, the right, food yes. shelter, right? Ground yourself to that. When you have those basics, then you can always build up. And then sometimes you build down to the basics build up and it's like a flow up and down. So nothing has gone wrong. I use that all the time. People, my, my nurse manager of nine years quit over email on a Friday night. I was like, that's gone wrong. gone wrong. Well, you know, Byron Kitty, like the mother of all modern coaching has this great book called loving what is, and what is, is reality. And so when we say like, something shouldn't happen because that's basically what we're saying. If we're saying something's gone wrong, we're saying it shouldn't happen, which is essentially arguing with reality because what has happened is it has happened. So now what? I could sit here all day and say it shouldn't have happened. That's wrong. And all the other things. But then I'm like living in the past. I'm living in someone else's business. But if I take myself to the present of saying, well, that happened. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And then like kick and scream, right? Because I kicked and screamed and I wanted to punch someone. And then I went into like a fetal position and started rocking and hyperventilating. Like I let myself do that. And then I was like, now what do I want to do? (laughs) Now what? what? That's probably the most powerful action statement. Now what? (laughs) Yeah. Now what? Like now what? Now what I, what do we do? What do we do? What do I want to do? How do I want to show up? (laughs) After a lot of time, you start to realize there's a lot of these now what? things. And what we want is freedom. And what we want is control. And when we realize the freedom that we want is always there, if we attach it to a different meaning of money, then we're we're limiting our freedom. And if we're attaching ourselves to arguing with reality and not dealing with what's in front of us, then we're giving up control. So to get back to what the whole point of private practice is, is freedom and control. 
is to realize when we are sabotaging it ourselves. And once you see it, it's it's hard to unsee it. So then it becomes a little bit easier to do it the next time. And, th- and then we forget that we have to remind each other. This is why you have to surround yourself with the people who tell you, remember how, you know, this, I'm like, oh yes. I mean, I relearn these lessons all the time. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And this is why, so two things I want to say. So the, if you had asked me what was the cause of your burnout, I would say it was lack of self-leadership, right? I am not that I'm a bad leader, right? If you don't learn to lead yourself, right? And I'll explain what that means. If you don't learn to lead yourself first, it's very hard to lead others. Mm-hmm. Private practice is all about leading. Being a physician is all about leading. Being a parent is all about re- leading, right? If you have a relationship with any other person, you're you're a leader in a sense. I think all humans are leaders in, in, in different aspects of their life with different relationships. So the self-leadership part is understanding thought. It, it falls into three different categories is your thoughts, right? What is my mind saying? What am I thinking? What are the narratives? So what are the stories I'm telling myself? All the blah, 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 blah that you have in your brain, right? The second part is what am I feeling? A lot of nervous system safety. And I could talk about this for another like whole episode. And this feeds into how you make decisions in private practice. This feeds into how you set boundaries or not in private practice. There is a whole lot of conflict resolution in private practice, right? These are skills that we have never, I've never heard of any of the skills, right? In medical school, right? And then, and, and when you don't have nervous system safety, when you are stuck in anxiety and the freeze and the fight and flight or whatever stress response, that you are in, you won't be able to take those actions that you're, you're, you have to take to take your, make the next step or take your business to a different level. And then the other part, I, I'm so glad we talked a lot about um, acceptance and surrender. The third part of the equation is you're on a soul level. Understanding that this is, there was an expectation I have, the reality did not match this expectation. And so what do I want to do if you, I resist, if I push back, if I control and, and how do I do that? Like, what does that look like in me? Right. When I resist, push back and control, or do I want to just let go? Do I want to just surrender? Do I want to just accept? And we do, and we don't, we resist and control because we don't feel safe, right? That's why people control. They don't feel safe. So do you have a higher belief other than yourself? Because sometimes I don't trust myself, right? We're humans and we're like, I don't really trust myself to do that. Do you have this higher belief of something, this power, whatever you want to label it as a power, I'll label it the universe, where you can trust it to support you when you can't support yourself, when you have not built that self-trust and that self-belief to support yourself, right? So you work on the mind, you work on the body, and you work on the soul. And when you align those three things, I mean, it's it's crazy the results you're going to get. It's, it's not easy. It's work every day. It's being really intentional. It's really getting really uncomfortable in your body. It's really pushing your yourself out of these comfort zone and like looking, not being so like narrow minded, like, like your scope has to get a little bit bigger to kind of look around and be like, I don't know, do I have examples in the past of like, when the universe did something, and it was like totally out of my hand, and it just fell into my lap, like finding those evidences. And so that is what Dr. Paris do and I, which is my partner, that's what we are creating. There is a gap that needs to be filled in the business world. And that because every single business uh, coaching program or program has when you think of business, what do you think about my team? I think about the people, which is usually my team, my clients, my ideal client, my patients, whatever. You think about marketing, right? How am I going to market? Like now that I have this idea, how am I going to market it out there? Marketing and sales. You think about finance, like how am I going to pay for all this, right? Where's that going to come from? 
But the thing that we leave out, which is so counterintuitive, is we leave ourselves, we leave the person that is that is the foundation of the business out of the equation, which is yourself. Like the CEO person, this person that's in private practice, like you, me, we leave ourselves out. And when I said we leave ourselves out is because we don't know what our mindset is. We don't think about our thoughts. Like we keep saying the same shitty thoughts over and over. We don't process our emotions. We can't even identify our emotions. We walk around completely disjointed from our neck. Like our body is just like a mule that just kind of functions for our brain. Like that's what we use it for. So we leave our body out and then we leave this bigger holistic like concept of like this, this, this universe that has this so much energy that has so many possibilities that can, that has so many guidances, right? That it could guide you. So our coaching program only and solely focuses on this gap in business coaching. And it's all about the self as the CEO. It's all about the self-leadership. How do I show up every day? What do I think every day? How do I feel every day? What's my bigger picture? How is the universe helping me to bring whatever this mission I have in private practice to, to life to like, right? And so, and and I think one of the reasons we do that in medicine is because we've always been told, heal the others, take care of the others, take care of your patients, sacrifice yourself. It's, it, it, the, the spotlight has always been on them. And so now we're putting the spotlight on us. I love the concept of self-leadership because, I mean, that's really what we're doing. And so this is a lesson that I learned in that perspective, because when you're in private practice, you think of money generating events, you know, like, what am I doing to generate money for the practice? So I did not even recognize the separate role of surgeon CEO. And if you think about this, like, let's just give it an example. Like, let's say you hire someone to be a CEO of your practice and you give them no hours, no resources, no help, no mindset work, no nothing. How successful are they going to be? So I started realizing that there was a separate role and appreciating that role and realizing there was a whole set of different challenges. And I had to honor that, even though I did not at first see the how that benefited the practice. I started to see that the practice couldn't survive without it. And that's really when I started creating space on the calendar, because now it wasn't on the list, because we, we've we all know now the list does not exist. Um, I started putting on the calendar. So it's like, where am I putting my planning? Where am I putting my self-leadership? Where is the surgeon CEO role in this? And I, in this purpose planner, that's what I use. I use the purpose planner. You identify six roles that you're doing. And so now I separate those roles, working in the business, which is the surgeon as technician, and working on the business, which is surgeon as CEO, that that has to show up on the calendar. And so I'm sure that's probably one thing you first tell people is you have to make time for some of this. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And on top of that, you have to make time for yourself. You have to make time for yourself, whatever that looks like. That was the hardest thing. And I think that's the hardest thing for all physicians, especially if you're in private practice, because, you know, don't have time. Like literally you you have to be employees. Like now let's not give them any money or time or effort, make them work all the time. Yes. Would they ever come back to work? Yeah, that's exact <laughs> exactly. And then and then you wonder why you're burnt out after like whatever, five, 10 years. And you're like, oh, what went wrong? I don't know. <laughs> when we realize where the employee, the technician, and the CEO, we start realizing that if we identified ourselves separately from these things, we would fire us. <laughs> yes. Yes, we would totally fire us. Yeah, exactly. And 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 so that's what we are bringing to the space. That's what's really missing from the space. And even if you're not a CEO, you can do this is parenting. Self-leadership helps in parenting, totally. right? Parenting um, makes you so much better of a, of a doctor, surgeon, CEO, all the things. Yeah. And, you have and to think of somebody else. Other, yes. In your other relationship, if you have a partner, it helps in your marriage, it helps in your anything, you've got to be able to understand who you are as a person first, and fill your own cup and be and show up as your true authentic self, not your socialized self, not what people tell you you should do, or not what you've been conditioned to do, but as your true authentic self. And when that happens, then you 
come to work, you show up in life with more clarity. You're not constantly, should I do this? I don't know what to do. I'm so confused. I'm just kind of stuck, right? Those are the things you hear. You show up with curiosity. What does that mean? You show up with curiosity. Next time you fail, it's not like, oh my God, it was my fault. It's the end of the world. Like, that didn't work. Let's let's see what didn't work. Let's kind of look around. Let's see what other options are. That's curiosity, right? That hiring didn't work. Oh, wonder. Let me go back and see what 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 didn't work. Let me ask my team. Let me see. Right, right, you get help, right? You show up with confidence. When you know who you are and you're grounded in who you are, you don't keep going outside of yourself. Yes, experts are great. You know, podcasts are great. Like all these things are great. Amazing. But at some point, you've got to trust yourself. You have to tap into your intuition and be able to hear that voice as well, along with the voices of others. You should be hearing your intuitive inner wisdom more than you're hearing your podcasts and books and your coach's wisdom, right? Right. So there's so many things. And then you you show up with compassion, right? You compa- Imagine show. Imagine I th- said this to my team. I said, imagine if everybody at this table was nice to themselves. And they were like, oh, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like if you're nice to yourself, then you show up nicer to other people. Why do bullies bully? Because they don't, they're not nice to themselves and they pro, they're projecting that meanness to other kids, right? Mm-hmm. So if you show up for compassion for yourself, then it's all the stuff outside of you literally shows up passively. Like if you do the active work on yourself, everything else will show up passively. You'll show up nicer to other people. You under you have empathy for other people. It's 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 a beautiful like a domino effect that happens. But you have to be the center core of your attention, of your your day. Like make yourself a priority. All right. So let's say we have no idea how to do that. Yes. I suspect you help with this. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about where we can find you and what you offer. I know I'm just like oh my god that sounds amazing I know right (laughs) getting people to do what I want exactly okay so our website is soul s-o-u-l it's capital letters preneur p-r-e-n-e-u-r m-d m is capital d is capital so soulpreneurmd.com um, you can contact us through that. And then I also have our, a lot of our coaching is integrates mindfulness tools because our nervous system as physicians is completely shod. We are in chronic stress, fight and flight and freeze. So you have to be able to address that to be able to make any actions moving forward. I have a podcast called Mindful Living with Dr. Sogol. Sogol is S-O-G-O-L. So I give like, I, give all the mindfulness tools and stuff away in there. So if you're interested in not being anxious and overwhelmed and stressed out and fatigued all the time, go listen to some of my the episodes that I have. I'll give a lot of techniques and stuff later. If you are interested, if you are wanting to pursue a private practice, and this is not even private practice, this is self-leadership in the academic role that you have, right? If self-leadership in the parenting role that you have, then go to our soulpreneurmd.com. And our next cohort is starting January, 2024, but all the information will be on the website. That sounds great. Well, thanks, Dr. Sogol, for coming on and sharing all this wisdom, because I definitely think that private practice is the way for freedom and control, but it it does come with some cautions. And I really think that you did a great job of telling us what those are. Awesome. Thank you for having me on. It was such an honor. (laughs) It was so so much fun, too. (laughs) For more information on the Boss Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com.